Welcome to the Boss in Heels podcast with your host, Lara Nassessian, the podcast that shares the mindset, habits, tools, and tactics of inspiring women. Hi, everyone. This is Lara Nassessian, and welcome to another episode of the Boss in Heels podcast, where it's my job to share the mindset, habits, tools, and tactics of inspiring people. Just a quick note before we get stuck into today's episode, if you are getting value from the show, then the best way that you can show your support is by subscribing, rating and reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcasts and also by recommending it to a friend, family member, someone in your network who you know would really value from listening to these episodes. It doesn't cost anything to do so and it really does help out the show tremendously. So I have a very different couple of episodes in store with you because I actually sat down with Darcy Milne, the founder of Pro Podcast Production and the producer of my show, The Boss in Hills Podcast. I have known Darcy for around two or so years now. He has been instrumental in setting up my podcast, in helping it come to life. He's literally been with me since day zero of the podcast. And this is something that I wanted to do for a while because I received so many questions around podcasting and I figured I may as well come together with Darcy and really sound out some of these questions with him because he's an absolute expert in this space. But what we found when we got into this episode is that we actually got quite deep and it was quite a long episode and we wanted to break it up into two sections. So in this episode, episode one, we actually flipped the script a little bit and Darcy kind of sat in my chair and Darcy asked me a whole bunch of questions. We got quite deep, we got quite real and raw and he actually asked a number of questions, which I shared the answer to on the podcast and haven't previously spoken about. So you probably get another layer of me and who I am. And I share, you know, then some of my podcasting journey and what's really kind of transpired for me. And then in part two, we then kind of flip roles again. And I then asked Darcy a whole bunch of questions that you guys have been asking me about podcasting. So Part one is released today. Part two will be released next week. And there is so much value in these episodes for different reasons. And I really can't wait to not only share a little bit more about my personal story, but to share more about Darcy and what he does, how he's helped me. And if you are wanting to start your own podcast show, if it's something that you're interested in, you do not want to miss out on the second part of this series, which will be released in part two. Darcy gives so many great insights, tips, industry insights about the podcasting world and podcasting space. So without further ado, we're going to jump into what we've recorded as the first part of this two-part series. So please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Darcy Milne. Darcy, welcome to Boston Hills. Oh my goodness. It is so wonderful to join you, Lara. Thank you for your trademark amazing intros. I don't know anyone who does podcast introductions like you do. And I can see why now. I feel a million dollars. So (laughs) I'm going to make that my alarm and wake up to that each morning. Thank you. (laughs) 
I love that so much. Well, it's so well deserved, Das, because you have really just like taken the whole podcasting space and like really just owned it. And I genuinely don't know anyone else that does this as well as you do. So you totally deserve all the credit, all the accolades because you've really worked for it. And um, it's truly an honor to get to partner with you on my podcast because you have literally been there with me since day zero when I had no clue, (laughs) no idea what I was doing and you made the whole process so easy. And so I really wanted to kind of open you up to my, my community and my audience. Um, because like I said, in my intro, these questions come through for me all the time, but I feel like we were going to flip roles for a hot minute and kind of put you in the host chair. So I'm going to kind of hand it over to you, Das, and you can kind of take it from here and uh, oh my away. <laughs> I am so excited. We are flipping the script here, and this is a rare opportunity to go behind the scenes, not just of the podcast production side of things, which we'll talk about later in the episode, but I know working with you, Lara, what an incredible individual you are. I haven't, these are just my general observations, and I'm sure the audience will agree on, on at least some of these that they've observed. I haven't seen someone with quite the work ethic that you possess. And I've seen that behind the scenes in your corporate job, but also on this podcast, you pour your like heart and soul into this quick note, subscribe. It really helps. I heard that at the start and it actually does make a difference. And it's a good little payoff for all of your hard work that goes into this. The way you communicate as a human just is all about value. You make those people you interact with feel so valued. And then it goes into the content that you're sharing. I've listened to, I think we're up to hundreds of these episodes now, and all of them really are about breaking down the processes, taking people behind the scenes, learning about the habits. It's quite a lot of value for what is a free offering. And what I... I'm left sitting here thinking is, who is this amazing woman and where has she come from and what is her story and what is the motivation? So I've got a couple of questions to get to know you a bit better, Lara, and what better place to start? I don't even know where you like grew up. Is Sydney home? Where was home for you? Oh my gosh. Well, firstly, thank you for your very kind words. That is honestly so touching and I'm so humbled by that. So thank you. And yes, I was born and raised in Sydney. So I've lived in Sydney my entire life. I grew up on um, sort of the northern beaches and North Shore of Sydney. And yeah, I've been here for the last 35 years. So this is home. Well, you've picked a great city. I mean, I am from the Central Coast, which is near Sydney, but moved to Sydney at a young age. Love this city, but it's also defined by your family. I feel like that feeds a lot into what your experience growing up as a kid is like. And so paint a picture. I know you've got a brother, Tom. Are there any other siblings or what was family life growing up like? Yeah, great question. So I've got two siblings. So, you you know, my younger brother, Tom, he's about two years younger than me and he lives in L.A., And I've got an older brother, Alex, and he lives here in Sydney as well. Um, And so there's the three of us. I'm the middle child. 
I'm the only girl. Um, only girl. <laughs> which is a really interesting <laughs> dynamic. Um, and yeah, I've got my, my two parents um, and we had, you know, quite, a, I guess, a normal, you know, childhood and upbringing. Um, my parents were... Um, they immigrated to Australia when they were 16 and 18 years old. Where from? And so my parents are Armenian and that's Amazing. my background. And um, they they moved here, um, yeah, like I said, when they were 16 and 18 years old. And I think one of the biggest things that I learned from my parents growing up was watching how hard they worked. So I think that my work ethic, which you commented on, Definitely came from my parents because they worked super hard to give us the best possible life, to give us the best possible opportunities. They would put us through a whole bunch of extracurricular activities. So Mm -hmm. I started playing the violin when I was three years of age. Um, What? Yeah. And I was actually really good at it, Das, because I learned through listening and not through reading notes. So I went through this whole journey of becoming like a violinist through just picking up music like in my ear and then being able to kind of like replicate it without actually reading any music. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and so that kind of had a cap on it at some point um, and I had to then go and actually learn how to read music at like 10 or 11 years old, which kind of took the fun out of it for me to be completely honest. But they would put us through all of these things, whether it was music, sport, swimming squads, netball, tennis. Like I used to be super active um, as a child and um, super musical and um, always had a really solid work ethic. I think my whole family does. And I think that's really been instilled from our, our parents. And it's sounding like not knowing anything about your family, but is was it an environment that was supportive and encouraging or were you feeling the pressure to do those things? A little bit of both, if I'm perfectly honest, because academically my brothers were much more intellectually advanced, <laughs> shall we say, than I was. And I was like still quite smart. Like I was a smart kid, but academically they were just kind of on a different level. They were like those top kind of couple of percent sort of people. And I was mm-hmm. like not there. But I think that I learned at a young age that I could sort of outsmart um, and outwork, not outsmart, outwork to uh-huh. talent and I could actually by being really focused and very studious that I could actually kind of catch up to them by just kind of putting in the sheer hours so when I was studying and all of those kinds of things like I would be very very disciplined and I would literally like lock myself in my room for like eight hours a day with like wow, a one hour sure. lunch break. <laughs> and I would just be so focused on studying because I was always trying to kind of catch up to them. So I did feel a bit of pressure. However, at the same time, my parents were quite supportive. Like I didn't feel like if I didn't do super well that they would um, – feel completely disappointed. They obviously wanted me to do really well, but I think that I ended up putting on more pressure on myself than they ever put on me. 
And I think probably because I was, you know, so focused and they could see the pressure that I put on me that they probably backed off a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and would be like, it's okay, Lara, just like <laughs> calm down. Cool your jets. You're going to be okay. Let's have an, more than an hour lunch break in yeah. between eight hours of study. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> and now something I've observed is you've achieved a lot of like work success. So I'm interested to know as a child growing up, what were you exposed to? Were your parents entrepreneurial? What were kind of the industries they were in? What were you kind of seeing as you were growing up in the world? Yeah, great question. So I don't have a lot of entrepreneurialism in my immediate family. So my parents held quite sort of traditional roles as as we were growing up. And my dad was in like electronics and telecommunications. Um mm-hmm. And then my mum sort of worked in finance and superannuation. She took like about 10 years off from work when she was raising me and my two brothers. And then she sort of re-entered the workforce um, when my younger brother, Tom, sort of grew to a certain age. I think when he started school, that's when she went back to work. But she was very, you know, dedicated as a mother, you know, very dedicated to supporting us, running, you know, this great household, making sure that dinner was on the table. So quite traditional roles. And I would see my dad, you know, at that time work quite long hours. Um, So they were sort of the roles that they held, but we didn't have a lot of sort of – sort of entrepreneurship in my family um that's something that I've seen kind of come out later in in different areas but it's not something that we really observed that much growing up which is super interesting so I am now naturally curious to see where this started entering your world but let's look at the crossroads you finished school your parents have migrated the pressure's on a little bit to do great academically as well as all of the other activities you picked up where that feels like it would be a a real moment when you like school's finishing and you're deciding, okay, well, where do I go in the world from here? And where was that for you? Yeah, I actually felt a little bit lost after I graduated from school and it was only for a short period of time. And that period of time was in between graduating from high school and waiting to get my HSC results. At the time, um, it was UAI. I couldn't tell you what it's called now. <laughs> sure. But that was going to be the big determining factor that was going to you know, shape the trajectory of my life. So I thought back then, mm-hmm. you know, back then yeah. I put so much weight and so much pressure on you know, what university I was going to get into, what degree I was going to get into. And I applied for a couple of different courses, but they were all centered around psychology because that is something that I felt that I was very much pulled towards. And I was always really fascinated about people. And I got into Macquarie University and I completed a Bachelor of Psychology there And I did that for three years and then I went on and completed an additional two years postgraduate in psychology as well. So I did a thesis and went through all of that. Then when I graduated, I realized that I didn't want to do psychology as my career, as in I didn't want to become 
a psychologist and do that day in, day out. I was very much drawn to the business side of psychology and so I decided to take a path of um, HR and I applied for over 100 jobs, I'm going to say, wow. on seek.com. Over what time period? Is this a busy day or is this a few months where you're like... <laughs> this was like over a six-month period and I was working in a different job at the time. Like I had... Um, I was working in retail jobs and then I um, was working for like a wholesale company um, looking after sort of customer service and key account management and those types of things. And so over a six-month period, I applied for over 100 jobs. It was honestly one of the most disheartening periods of my life. And finally, I met with a company called Napoleon Purtis Cosmetics Mm-hmm. And growing up with five sisters, I know the brand well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I went for the interview and for whatever reason, you know, they just decided to give me a chance. They saw something in me. I just kind of connected with them in the interview. And then that's when I kind of started my career in HR. And, you know, I worked super hard. I put in blood, sweat and tears into my corporate career. I was at Napoleon Purtis for close to two years. And then I was approached by Sass and Bide, another sort of Australian designer fashion label. Mm-hmm. And I went from sort of being the most junior person in a team of four at Napoleon Purtis Cosmetics into heading up HR for all of Australia and New Zealand and eventually New York for Sass and Bide. And that wow. gave me some incredible experience. And yeah, I put in some serious hours into that job. <laughs> I would work until like 11 p.m. of midnight on a Friday night. Like I would be that person that would do whatever it took to get the job done and to do it well. And I always prided myself on that. So I went from there to um, well, next before pleasure let's, and, yeah. Before we move on from there, Lara, I do have two questions because success is interesting and you've achieved a lot of it. I do want to know, though, just like as a friend, how did you navigate the? F- you come out of uni, you've spent five years and invested in that time. As someone who puts that pressure on to achieve greatness, it would be a real turning point to go, actually, this isn't the path I thought I was going. How do you navigate that feeling of, oh, I've got to change course correct here. I've got to change that. How do you do that? It was really hard, to be honest. And it took a lot of thought processes and conversations with people that were really close to me and exploring different options and deliberating and weighing up. You know, I felt like I was at a bit of a crossroads because I was like, my career can go in one of two directions here. And ultimately, what it came down to was I had to think about how do I want each day to be like? What do I actually want to spend each day doing? Because even though I loved the idea of becoming a psychologist, I realized that I liked the idea of it more than I liked the actual practical aspect of it. Mm. The other part of it was that in order to then go and become a registered psychologist, I had another two years of either study 
or basically working for free. And at that point, I realized that I had already done five years of university. I didn't want to do another two years to do something that I wasn't sure if I wanted to do in the long term. So I kind of had to think about it like a 10-year plan and a 10-year game of like, if this is not something that I want to play a long game in, then I better like take that two years and actually get into working. And the other thing I will say to Das is that It was really hard at that time because I was maybe about 23 or 24 by the time I had finished my second degree. And Mm -hmm. a lot of my friends and a lot of the people in my social networks were already five years into their careers. And so I kind of fell in a bit of a comparison trap where I was Mm. (laughs) comparing myself career-wise where I was to other people who were already in their sort of five years into their career. And it wasn't really a fair comparison, but I see this come up a lot in even like my coaching clients and other people that I talk to that they often kind of feel that pressure to be at the same level or earning the same money that other Mm -hmm. people are in their age group. And so in hindsight, you know, what I learned was you actually can't compare your journey to someone else's because even though someone might be, you know, in inverted commas ahead of you at that point in your life, there's still so much life to do and you're only just getting started at that point. And um, I realized that I had to just focus on my own journey versus looking at what other people were doing. So I feel like it was just really important to mention that because it's a real thing that I went through at that time. Well, comparison is the greatest thief of joy and it can take different experiences. It can take a shift in values to get to a point where you're really just living the life you want to live as opposed to the Instagram version of you and how that stacks up to the other people. But That said, I find that really hard even now, right? We all get on Instagram. We're all scrolling through. We're seeing what other people are doing on our down days. Like, that's a really hard thing. And then when we're feeling it, when we're feeling like a boss in heels, we can post and, you know, celebrate the wins, which is equally important. What drives you now in terms of living a purpose-filled life? Is it values? Is it something you're working towards? What is now that driving force before we jump back into your journey? Yeah, the thing that really drives me is actually my purpose. So Mm -hmm. that is the thing that really fuels everything that I do because I know that everything that I'm doing is for a higher purpose and all of the other stuff that comes out, you know, whether it's the financial reward or being able to have nice things or buy comfort or buy time, those things are all a byproduct of me putting in the work towards working on my purpose. So things like money and all of those kinds of things they're great. Like, I'm not going to lie. Um, I obviously like making money. Who doesn't? Sure. Um, but it's not the number one driving force for me. It's actually wanting to create impact and live a purposeful life. And that sort of supersedes everything else that I do. And it's the thing that keeps me going when, you know, it could be so easy to give up. 
but I think having that really sort of strong and compelling why makes me keep going and makes giving up not even an option. So I'd say that that is the number one driving force for me. That's awesome. And as people are developing their own brand and thinking about these big questions, you know, about what are they doing and is it meaningful work and how do you develop yourself? What do you think is the biggest contributing factor for you in defining that purpose? Was it a conversation you had? Was it material material you consumed? Was it just getting to a point of going, oh, I need to like reset what this is moving forward? What do you think the greatest contributor to defining your own purpose was? Such a great question. And it was a combination of a couple of things for me. So the first one is that years ago, my now husband asked me, what is your purpose in life? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the way that he asked it, I didn't know whether he was joking or whether he was being serious, but it really dawned on me that I'd never even thought about it. I'd never even, the thought had never even crossed my mind. And the mere fact that I'd never even thought about, you know, why I had been put on this earth to me was in hindsight shocking. And it immediately made me start thinking about and designing my life's purpose. And I went through a bit of a thought process and I asked myself a series of questions in terms of, you know, why am I here? You know, what do I want to do? What kind of impact do I want to make? Um, you know, what is my contribution to society? How do I want to make people feel? What are my talents? You know, what are the things that I'm good at? What are the things that I can do? And I just kind of went through and actually just started answering some of these questions because what I realized is, I'd never really asked myself these big questions. And unless you're willing to kind of ask yourself good questions, you're not going to get good answers. So I think just kind of going on that thought process really just kind of um, brought a lot of those underlying desires and, and wishes and hopes to the surface. And so it was a combination of going through that process, but also when it came to starting Boston Hills, because of my corporate job and my corporate experiences, I would get so many questions related to career and how to climb the corporate ladder and, you know, how to deal with your horrible boss, how to ask for a pay increase, all of these kinds of questions. And both people that I was working with at the time and people from my past roles, and they would come to me and they would say, Lara, I hope you don't mind me reaching out to you, but I feel that you're more relatable than my, you know, current HR manager. Um, and I'm hoping that you can ask, you know, answer these questions for me. So I realized that there were these series of questions that people kept coming to me for and asking for advice on. So a little bit of a light bulb went off and I was like, you know, rather than me just answering these questions one-on-one all the time, why don't I start writing blog posts and actually answering some of these questions in the form of blog posts and blog articles. Do you remember the first blog post? Oh my gosh. I don't know. I'd have to go back and have a look. (laughs) I think I wrote three and I think one of them was something about like putting your best foot forward. I think maybe there was something about 
asking for a pay increase and something else. And I thought that they were so bad because I was never used to writing from my own personal experience or my own personal view. I was very used to writing things for university like theses and essays or um, professional communication coming from like HR Lara, but it wasn't really coming from me and my own personal experiences. And I had to get um, my husband, Richard, and my brother, Tom, who you know, um, to actually proofread these articles for me before I felt comfortable posting them and before I could post them on LinkedIn because I thought that they, they were so bad and they would maybe give me some constructive feedback and they're like, oh, just get over it, just post it like it's good. <laughs> um, but I had a lot of fear around that and showing up in that way and um, it took a lot for me to start getting comfortable. It was years actually of um putting myself out there until I got a po- got to a point that I am at today where I feel much more comfortable kind of showing up online in that way well I've scrolled back and it looks like from what I can see and let's just make sure this is correct. You're going to have to fact check me now because I... Let's fact check. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. So you shared three posts. Your first was how to be more organized. Oh, okay. The second was the power of the vision board. And then the third one was how to nail your next job interview. Oh, okay. They're different to what I thought. There you go. It's <laughs> interesting you know better than me. <laughs> back though, what's, what's interesting about that, not what the topic of it though was, is when it first came out which was September 4, 2016. How do you go from posting online, which let's just acknowledge that's a big step in itself. Like you say, you really have to bring in those around you to just give you that little confidence boost of like, yeah, what you're putting out is cool and we've proofread that and hit publish on that. How do you go from doing that though, to building what is now the Boston Hills empire. And just to give people an idea of that, I'm sure your audience knows bits of this, but it was featured in Business Insider, Yahoo Finance and News featured it, Digital Journal has featured this podcast as well. The empire itself is getting about 150,000 impressions each month which for what is an independent effort and a lot driven from your part that's a huge thing and so I'm left here going okay how does that happen how do you continuously do that showing up online is one thing but then what do you think or what advice would you have to make that a consistent sustainable thing Yeah, such a great question. And for me, it comes back to the purpose piece, because I think if you don't know why you're doing it, then I think that you'll run out of steam very quickly because it was years in the making. And as you pointed out, 4th of September, 2016, that was five years ago that I put out my first piece of content. And when I first started posting, I would get like three views of my articles. It was sure. probably yeah. like, you know, my husband, my brother who were proofreading it and me, you know. Sure. So if I was just paying attention to the numbers and to the outcome and the output, I would have given up a long time ago. 
And what I've learned is that in order to kind of have that longevity, you do need to be really consistent, as you've pointed out. You know, I've pointed Previous to the podcast, I would post a blog post every single week. Mm -hmm. And since launching the podcast, it's now every single week. Um, And there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes, as you know, Das, that Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't see. And I've really learned that in order to have that longevity, you need to play a long game. So I operate in a 10-year vision. I don't operate in seeing results in a month or overnight or even in a year. And I've also focused more on the input and the intention rather than the output and and maybe the result because I actually can't control the output. I can control the input and I can control the work. I can control the quality of the work, the consistency, the messaging, the value, those things I can control, but I can't control how many views I'm going to get. I can do all of the right things to try and get the views, to try and get the numbers, um, but I I can't actually control that. Um, so learning to kind of shift that focus um, has been a big one for me, thinking about things as a 10-year goal rather than a one-year goal has been a game changer for me and coming back to my purpose and my why. So before I put out any podcast episode or piece of content, I ask myself the question, why? Like, what's the point Mm -hmm. of putting this out? What value am I trying to provide? What impact am I going to try and provide? Is this in line with my message and my purpose? Yes or no. And, you know, that's usually keeps me pretty on track um so that's really that's powerful just to jump in there of the why response because as a business owner and being in this business community now talking to other people i know a lot of people just feel the pressure to do something they know you've got to get over that fear and just do something so often you fall into the trap of posting a picture or sharing a win or going into that linkedin zone and like talking and you just, why am I doing this? But actually stopping and asking why before you're posting is the reason now I'm thinking about it. Your content resonates with so many people each and every week. Thank you. Thanks, Stas. I think it is important. I think if you want to have the longevity, you need to know why you're doing it. Otherwise, what's the point? Like if you don't even Mm. know why you're doing it, why are you doing it? <laughs> I think you've really got to stop and kind of check in with yourself. So I think it's a good practice to get into the habit of doing. And from why to how, firstly, how do you navigate that on a week to week basis when you have a corporate job that you carry still and you're quite successful at, and that would take up a lot of your time and energy. How do you practically for someone sitting here thinking, I need to show up. I need to connect my life with its purpose. I need to show up online and start sharing that there. How do you practically manage that? Are you hiring people? Is it hours spent in Canva? How are you capturing and sharing and articulating this content? Yeah, it's such a good question and something that comes up a lot. I think it really comes down to a few things and 
being really disciplined with my time is a big mm-hmm. one. So learning to say no to things, requests, invitations, whatever it might be that aren't in line with what I want to achieve and what I want to do is a really big one because if I said yes to every single coffee meeting request that I get on LinkedIn, you know, I would never be able to achieve a damn thing. (laughs) (laughs) So I kind of have put in place these really stringent policies, personal policies that I've had to really live by because as you pointed out, my corporate job is full on and intense. I'm a senior executive at a large organization and it's not just a typical nine to five job that doesn't exist. Um, It does take up a lot of my energy and time. So a few things, so being really disciplined, being really clear on what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. Um, waking up early is a really big one for me because it means that I get to work on Boston Hills before sort of 9am before I clock on to my corporate job. Mm-hmm. Um, and then actually doing things like, you know, you and I are having this conversation and right now it's like seven o'clock on a Tuesday <laughs> night um, and you've had your full work day and I've had my full work day and we're both kind of, you know, clocking on and recording this podcast at 7pm on a Tuesday. Um So I try and, you know, record my podcast episodes. I try to batch things. So um, rather than just recording like one solo episode, I'll try and do like two or three episodes like back to back Mm -hmm. um, and just make it really effective from a time management perspective. And then I have had to start outsourcing stuff as well because I realized that there were things that were chewing up a lot of my time. And it just wasn't worth it. Like when you kind of compare, say, my hourly rate to the hourly rate that I could pay someone to do those same things for me, it just Mm -hmm. didn't make sense. So learning to let go of the things that don't have to be done by me um, has been a really big one as well and quite empowering. And it just kind of frees up time even if it's not time to kind of fill up with more work, but time to do more of the things that I want to do. So I used to work on Boston Hills all day on a Saturday, every single week. And I realized that by structuring my week that way, it meant that I would leave everything to Saturday and um, I wasn't using my time during the week as effectively. Whereas now I've become a lot more disciplined around how I manage my time during the week and doing things mostly before work, but sometimes after work in the evenings as well, so that I get to have two full days of rest um, and I can kind of sustain all of the things that I'm doing. So I don't know if that answers your question, but Absolutely, yeah. a bit of discipline, good routine, organization and outsourcing where it makes sense. All of that super important. And I don't think there's a better ambassador that I know in my life who does that, but you're also equally great at seizing opportunities when you see them. So just as important as saying no to things that don't fit within our purpose or give us value. If you see an opportunity, it's a big thing to say yes to that and sometimes confronting. So fast forward to August 22, 2019, when I received an email from a Lara who wanted to record a podcast that Sunday Tell me how podcasting came into your world. 
<laughs> it's a great story. <laughs> I love that you have the specific details of that. That is amazing. So great question. And I knew deep down that podcasting is something that I needed to do. I knew mm-hmm. that I needed to take my blog to the next level and that people were consuming content differently. You know, people, whilst I, at that point I'd built up quite a strong following for the blog um, and had people reading and looking forward to my articles every week, the way that people consume content has shifted and I knew that people were starting to consume content on the fly, you know, whether they were commuting, walking, exercising, doing chores at home, whatever, you know, that's the way that people wanted to start consuming content. And so deep down, I had this like little bit of a voice or a little bit of a niggle telling me this is something that I need to start doing. But we tend to make up excuses for the things that bring up the most amount of fear in us. So I would make up a lot of excuses like I'm too busy. I don't have the equipment. I don't have the time. Um, And all of these kinds of things, which kind of prevented me from starting the podcast. But then that all catapulted because I was partnering with um, a company which I still work with called Success Resources Australia. And they are actually a global event company, um, even though it's the Australian arm that I would be working with, that would bring these incredible um, speakers and thought leaders to Australia. So they run, you know, Tony Robbins, Unleash the Power Within. They've brought Gary Vee, Grant Cardone, Elena Cardone, to name a few. So just I massive was, names. Just some massive names, <laughs> like no big deal. And I was actually attending one of their events called Success Summit. And I was um, lucky enough to be given a front row seat. They always looked after me so well. And I was listening to each of the presentations throughout the day. And in particular, Elena Cardone, she just like rocked my world. Like what she was saying was so true and so relevant for me because she talks about relationships. She talks about building an empire, but like doing it with your partner and all of the challenges fears and, you know, the work that she's had to do to become this extraordinary, powerful woman that now, you know, owns this billion dollar empire with her husband, Mm -hmm. Grant. And throughout the session, I was posting and she was like engaging back with me. Um, And for a couple of days later, we were still exchanging messages on Instagram and she was so lovely. How's your heart at this state? (laughs) How's your, like, to get one engagement from someone we admire is an exciting moment. (laughs) It was super (laughs) exciting. I was ecstatic, you know, that we were building this kind of like banter and conversation between the two of us. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is a big deal. And a week later, I was still thinking about her and how much she had impacted me on that day. And so I thought, you know what, I'm just going to reach out to Elena and see if she'll do an interview with me for my blog, thinking that it would just be a written article. 
Mm-hmm. And I reached out to her and she wrote back and she was like, yep, I'd be happy to do it. You know, here are the details, you know, contact this person and they'll kind of set something up. And I was like, ecstatic at this point. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be able to interview Elena Cardone for my blog and have an article about her. Like this is huge. Separately to that, that next weekend, I was filming a video testimonial for one of my good friend's businesses. And we were having a lunch break and we were sitting down at a cafe in Bronte and um, the person that was videoing this um, this video testimonial for my friend was actually one of the videographers for Success Resources and he's an extraordinary videographer. Like he goes around the world videoing Tony Robbins and Gary Vee and all of these people. And I was sitting at lunch and he was asking me how I found the event and I was telling him about the experience and of course saying how excited I was that Elena had agreed to come onto my um, blog and that I was going to get to interview her. And he said to me, well, why don't you do a podcast with Elena? And I was like, what? What are you talking about? I don't have a podcast. I don't have the first clue about how to start a podcast. And he was like, yeah, they're coming back in like two weeks time. You should do a podcast with her. And I'm like, yeah, right. Like as if that's going to happen, like in my dreams. And right then and there, he sent an email to like Elena and Grant's people and basically put in a request and put me forward for it. He was like, I think it would be a really good fit. Like you should do this. Yeah. And, um, I didn't think anything of it. I didn't think anything was going to eventuate out of it. And I was just really happy that I was going to get a written article with her. Lo and behold, like a week and a half later, I get, um, an email from Elena's assistant basically saying, this is your time slot. We've received your request through Simon. Um, it's 9am on, I think it was 9am or 10am on Sunday morning. This is your slot, you know, take it or leave it. And I was like, Oh my God. Like I have like two business days to start a podcast you know, work out how to do a podcast. I have no clue about how to do anything. I don't know how to interview and ask questions. I have no clue. So what do I do? I contact my brother, Tom, and I spoke to my husband and they were like, you just need to get like professional people to come and like take the stress out of the recording side of it. So you can just focus on doing the interview. So my brother, Tom, um, works in like the film and TV industry. So he's in LA now, but he previously worked um, like on reality TV shows and things in Australia before he moved to the US. And he actually had someone, which is Andy, who you know. Shout out to Andy, who's great in the video space. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Andy's awesome. And um, he put Andy forward and he was like, why don't you try contacting Andy? I've told him to kind of expect, you know, a phone call from you. And I was like, great, video is taken care of. But then I was like, I don't have any contacts in the podcasting space. So... I literally went onto Google and I started Googling like 
you know, people that can record a podcast in Sydney. <laughs> oh God, I don't even know what I was trying. And there were a couple of people that came up, but you were like the top. And I was like, oh, this looks really good and really professional. So I submitted a form on your website. And that same day you came back to me and you were like, yep. I can do it. And I was like, oh my God, Darcy, the sense of relief that I felt (laughs) knowing that I had a professional person come and record the podcast and I didn't have to worry about like getting equipment and like fussing about and I could just focus now on like what the hell I was going to ask in the interview Um, and doing my research and all of those kinds of things like took the weight of the world off my shoulders And I just remember you being so professional. You were such a calming force for me. I was sick at the time. You um, were. And I had to like push through. I felt like horrendous. And I think it was just like the adrenaline of getting to interview Elena that kicked in because the next day I think I completely lost my voice and I was like bedridden for the whole week afterwards. All that stress just came out in that moment. It did, but I just remember like you being so like reliable and just so grounding and calming for me and you just helped me like calm my nerves down in that moment because there was so many things going on. And even just like getting, I don't know if you remember this, but even just like getting into um, the the um, home, in, it was like Fort Knox in, in Point Piper, which happens with the, the homes in Point Piper, like the security is insane. And we had to like go down one of these, like, it's not an elevator, but like, Oh, it's like those outdoor elevators. I don't know what the technical term for that it is. It was like a scene out of a Bond movie. Literally. Oh, I mean, <laughs> Point Piper Mansion, yeah. where, which they had rented for the weekend. You could see the Sydney Harbour Bridge. I mean, if you're going to kick off a podcast, that is certainly one way to do it, but you certainly put the pressure on and deliver it. It was a wonderful interview, a wonderful experience. I mean, <laughs> the sense of relief, I think, for all of us in that room once we hit stop and we're like, yep, we captured it. It was a great moment. But look, as we flip the script and we're talking about your podcasting and, and that experience, um, I think it's your experience is common to many people in that, yes, you can absolutely produce a DIY podcast and ha- make that sound great and have an enjoyable experience. But sometimes, like for all things... I can cut my grass, but I pay someone to do that because A, it frees up the time that I could get back with my family and I want someone to do that properly. I guess that was a similar experience you had there. 1000%. And I just knew that it wasn't worth the stress or the time for me to try and figure something like that out when I could call on a professional who had everything ready to go and took all of that stress out for me. Um, but also just entrusting someone who produces audio at such a high quality, because I was like, if I'm going to interview someone like Elena Cardone, and if I'm actually going to commit to this podcasting thing, I want to do it properly. And having someone like you meant that I was getting the best of the best. Like, hello, I've got like 
literally <laughs> the um, podcast producer of the year um, with me. Um, but, you know, knowing that you had all this incredible experience from your radio days from Nova, um, that you could bring all of that knowledge into producing the podcast because after that day and after um, interviewing Elena, which it was a Sunday morning as well. So thank you, Das, for giving up your <laughs> Sunday morning and time away from your wife for me on that day. Um, I'm hugely and always grateful for that. But um, really just the thing was like, what next? Like, what do I do now with this audio? How do you actually get it onto Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all of these things. And you just like guiding me through that process made it so easy for me. And I couldn't have simplified it more if I if I tried. And you just delivered such a professional service. And I was like, oh, this is just worth every penny because the amount of knowledge and experience and expertise, but quality that you bring to the work that you do is, you know, unparalleled. Um, and I knew, like I said, when I did this that I was going to, if I was going to do it, I was going to do it properly. Um, and I think particularly with audio, because I know from my personal experience, when I'm listening to something, if the audio is crap, <laughs> I'm just not that inspired to listen. Like even though the content might be really interesting, if I find it really hard to listen to something because the audio quality is bad, it's quite off-putting. And I knew that I wanted to create a great listening and audio experience for my community. And that's why I thought it was really worth, you know, investing and doing it properly. And here we are, you know, now from 2019 to 2021, we're still going for it. And the podcast has been wonderful, but it's certainly been a pleasure. And thank you for your kind words, because it was a Sunday to not forget quickly stepping into that <laughs> I thought I've definitely had worse Sundays, but it was a joy to engage, get the podcast up nice and quickly, or be proud of the result with that. Um, I, I loved every step of it. So thank you, Lara. No, likewise. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Boss in Heels podcast. Be sure to visit bossinheels.com for a ton of information, resources, and articles on all things career and personal development. And subscribe to this podcast for all future episodes.